Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Art Sear of Carthage College, Reputation Partners Executive Nick Calm, conservative lawyer Josh Cantro, and liberal writer John McDonough. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Paul and Angel Harvey Studios at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. That's on State Street, that great street. Our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's beyondthebeltway2019 at gmail.com. And also you can tweet us at DUMO, at D-U-M-O, and of course, you can join us live at beyondthebeltway.com, not only this week's show, but if you miss a show in the past, it's always there at beyondthebeltway.com, and also, we are live on YouTube, on the uh, on YouTube, and also on the Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont uh, Facebook page, so you can find us just about anywhere, hopefully you, you find us live every week, uh, you can also find us, obviously, on radio in Chicago, on WIND at 10 o'clock every night, every Sunday night. And again, if you miss us on radio, you can find us on Spotify. So if you want to hear this show and see this show, it's pretty easy to find us now if you just know where to go. We have another full full two hours. We have lots to talk about. Uh, I said to someone tonight, we're sort of uh, we're, we're assembling the War Council <laughs> because the United States uh, and the world at the moment are in a very difficult situation in that the largest processing of oil uh, in the world uh, was partially destroyed. They provide 5% of the world's uh, oil uh, in processing. It was in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Yemenis have said that they did it, but the United States doesn't seem to believe that. They think that Iran was behind it, but it's a major deal. And I want to begin tonight by asking everyone, uh, what should our response be? And I'll turn to uh, our chief foreign affairs advisor on this show for 20 plus years, Art Sear. Uh, how dangerous is this incident? I don't think it's particularly dangerous either for, in terms of the possibility of war or our oil supplies. It's important to keep in mind that the U.S. is now a net exporter of finished gasoline products, and thanks to fracking, primarily but not exclusively, we're soon going to be a, a net exporter in terms of oil. The first time since 1960 that this has been the case, truly revolutionary. But the price of oil uh, is expected to go up rather dramatically. We'll see. Futures are down in the markets, but the global economy has a tremendous ability to adjust, and I don't want to do anything that might discourage any possible member of our audience, but you should be cautious in what the media says. One reason this program is important is because you engage in serious discussion. Uh, it's important to inoculate yourself against media hype. I also advocate driving uh, fuel-efficient cars and taking public transportation. Okay. Josh Cantrow, our conservative Republican tonight, uh, your reaction? Well, I think we, we should obviously investigate and do a thorough investigation before uh, there's any response uh, by the U.S. Look, this president came into office uh, criticizing the engagements in Afghanistan and no. Iraq, and he's not going to, I, I, I don't think, pull the trigger on anything and do anything rash here. Certainly with John Bolton now out of the administration, that makes that uh, even more likely that he would use restraint. But at the same time, 
the administration clearly wants to keep the pressure on Iran. So there's going to be, um, I would think, a lot of internal administrative pressure to try to point the finger at Iran. Uh, John McDonough, uh, was it a mistake for Secretary of State Pompeo to sort of finger Iran almost instantly? Oh, well, I, I think so. I mean, that's what we have an intelligence service for, uh, for to go out and, you know, find out, uh, you know, who the culprits are uh, and bring back reliable information. But and could they not be the ones that are whispering this information to the Secretary of State? Uh, in, who? The CIA. The CIA. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't look underneath the curtain. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes on this uh, or who's talking to whom. But, um, I mean, it seems to me, you know, we have an apparatus that's in place to, um, uh, you know, to investigate these things. I mean, it's, it's kind of makes you long for the old days of Pearl Harbor when, you know, you got attacked and their name was on it. I mean, so there was no, uh, but I guess those days are gone. Uh, Nick Cow, uh, one of our other conservative Republicans. Nice to have you with us, Nick. Uh, when when you look at this information right now, uh, a portion of the country—I don't want to say a half—but a portion of the country is questioning whether or not the Secretary of State is telling us the truth because of uh, of fabrications or lies that we were told, you know, 15 years ago when it came to uh, you know responding to the 9-11 attacks that we don't quite believe everything that the government says is that good or bad well it's bad but i think the larger issue is one that uh, josh talked about as well you've got a president who wants to avoid foreign entanglements you've got a president who only wants to do anything that is going to end up being counted as a win for him and you've got an increasingly lawless regime in the iranians and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. Art may be right that it isn't necessarily going to impact our oil supplies now because we're a net exporter, but they keep acting in more and more lawless ways, and unfortunately they're being allowed to get away with it. Does Iran want war, Art? No, I don't think so, not, not with the United States. They want to continue uh, to do it very successfully. They have done, especially since the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003. They're steadily becoming... Um, stronger and stronger and will soon be the dominant power, I believe, in the Mideast, along with Russia, in terms Do of they political, want political influence okay. and religious influence in their terms. Do they want to shore up the hard right uh, militaristic response to the United States? In other words, you know, they may not be happy that John Bolton is gone because John Bolton was the saber rattler that many, even in the administration, including the president, didn't seem to be following their advice. I mean, is this coincidental that this happens within a few days after John Bolton's departure? I think it's probably coincidental, yes. You think it's coincidental, Josh? I, I don't know. I don't trust the Iranians at all, and I very well could see them being behind it. But uh, And so Pompeo could be right about that, but I, we just need to obviously do more than what was done with Iraq. And that investigation. But do you, at this moment in time, do you automatically believe Secretary Pompeo? Uh, I'm, I tend to believe him more than I believe the Iranians, but I don't automatically believe him. Uh, that there, there's not something, because we just don't know enough as a public yet to, to automatically believe him. The Iranians seem to be... Um, uh, pushing the perimeters of, um, you know, nuclear, their own nuclear research. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, 
to to go in and you know embalm an oil installation like this, this would be they'd be juggling you know almost more than they could handle uh, in terms of being provocative uh, to uh, the West and to the United States in particular. Um, I, I have my doubts, frankly, whether they would, uh, they would be behind it, but uh, I, I know so little about it. This time the story only broke last mm -hmm. night, this morning. Um, I, I, this is one of those stories that you just have to let, you know, give it another 48 hours and see what happens. I want to get reaction from the audience also. Uh, obviously, we do not know uh, all the specifics about this incident at the moment. Uh, Art has made the point that maybe it will not have the impact that the media suggested at the, uh, at the gas pumps. But again, uh, this was a this was an attack. This was a drone attack, uh, significant drone attack against us. We've certainly used drone attacks in the region. So, uh, what does it say for drone warfare? Mm -hmm. And again, how do we how do we how do we follow the steps here to find out who really did the deed? Back shortly. Mm -hmm. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, a little shot of uh, New York City for our uh, uh, people who watch this program on television for the last several weeks, uh, we've been showing, uh, going in and out of commercials, those video bumpers. Uh, they are cities where this program can be heard, uh, whether it's through our terrestrial radio stations or through Sirius and XM satellite radio. We just saw a shot of uh, New York City, and that reminded me, obviously, of the 18th anniversary of 9-11 that uh, we commemorated this past week. And I know that, uh, uh, Nick Com, you have, uh, I'm going to just go a little come off topic here for a while because... Uh, you're very concerned about the way that this anniversary took place and, and the use of the very powerful video from 18 years ago and, and what the editorial people have decided to show and what they decide not to show. And you've got some pretty strong feelings based on that. Well, I mean, again, it's the passage of 18 years, right? It's a long time ago. Anybody who, wasn't, who isn't yet 18 years old, this is history for them. And it's a history that needs to be kept alive. And in part because we have a situation where, unlike, uh, there was a reference, I think, off air to Pearl Harbor, uh, this is a war that's still going on 18 years later. And so it needs to be, people need to be reminded of actually what happened and the buildings that were brought down and how they were brought down and the heroism that occurred and the people leaping from the buildings to avoid burning to death. I mean, horrible scenes, but the more we get distance from it, the more uh, immune we get to what's really going on out there. John, how do you feel about that? You're, you're, you're a historian are you, at heart. You, Nick, are you suggesting, uh, uh, I, I'm not aware of this debate, but are you suggesting that uh, uh, network and station executives are not putting footage on the air of people 
falling out of buildings well, I mean, it because to, of the sort of the gruesomeness it of it? It doesn't even need to be that. It needs just even the actual attacks. You Are you saying th- that that, I, I think I saw some references to, uh, you know, the buildings being hit. Uh, well, the know. New York Times talked about airplanes. It's a little bit like Elon Omar talking about some people did mm. something. They, well, they I mean, had their own tweet that talked about airplanes flew into the buildings. Airplane. Yes, airplanes yep. were used by Islamic fundamentalist terrorists. Oh, I see the distinction. It. Okay. Yes. Well, it's an answer, important distinction. I mean, in answer to your question, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think anything, uh, I mean, this is history. And I don't think uh, history should or needs to be censored for any uh, reason, certainly not 18 years after the fact. I mean, um, Holocaust uh, footage is uh, seen, and right. uh, we're not deprived of that because uh, it might offend our sensibilities. I don't see any, uh, any difference. I don't remember seeing it. I didn't see everything that was obviously on the air. I did not see any airplanes flying into the Twin Towers last week. Uh, the, the picture that you referenced in your Facebook post was the picture of the person, uh, one person, uh, jumping from the, the 9-11 towers. And again, uh, I, as regular listeners knows, know, I was in Sweden. So there's a lot of the history of 9-11 that I don't know, I haven't experienced. I never saw a video of someone jumping from a building. I would have remembered that. But surely there is video of that. I would assume, in addition uh, to the to the rather graphic graphic nature of it. But what people are saying, or have been saying for the last several years, is that uh, the national, the mainstream media, primarily, does not want to remind the American people who the culprits were for 9/11. Do you think there's some truth to that, Art? They don't want to rile up the American people. Well, I don't think it was particularly sensationalistic. I thought it was dignified. The New York Times did have, uh, briefly, my understanding is a headline, airplanes take aim. Obviously, the airplanes uh, were not under self-control. And that was withdrawn rather quickly. It was. Even but it was also New nowhere York in the Times. print edition, the fact that it happened yeah. again. Yeah, I mean, imagine, Times, imagine if we were in 1959, and you still had the uh, Japanese bombing military installations 18 years after Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. That's the equivalent of what we have now still going on with Al-Qaeda and ISIS and so forth. I mean, we do. So it's, there's, there's very little upside and a lot of downside of sanitizing what happened. Josh, it, it seems to me over the past few years I've noticed as the anniversary of 9-11 hits, there's less and less focus on the Islamic fundamentalism that caused it and more focus on things like what the New York Times did with that ridiculous headline talking about airplanes flying into buildings like they were they they just did it themselves and you see that in so much of the mainstream media these days and it's it's sad and it's concerning because 9/11 is something that should be seared into our memory right in every way possible i know it but i mean uh when George Bush responded uh, to the 9-11 attacks, he went out of his way not to tarnish the entire Muslim world yes, with this crime. Because there was concern that there would be backlash, and of course there was, against peaceful Muslims. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. why he did exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. it doesn't take away who actually no, did No, I agree, I agree. But I mean, you, just, you have to you know, sort of keep that balance in your mind when you're dealing with this thing. There was, you know... Uh, I had a, you know... Um, uh, I'm probably the only uh, person on this panel who was actually in New York, um, not on the day of September 11th, but the day after. Hmm. Um, I had um, an assignment on advertising aids to do an interview with somebody, and I made the reservation to 
uh, leave uh, about two weeks before. And for a change of pace, I decided to take the train to New York. And so I made an Amtrak reservation, and it was departing uh, Union Station here in Chicago at, uh, you know, on September 11th. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I called Amtrak that morning, and I said, is the train for New York actually going to be leaving this afternoon? And they said, yes, yes, you'll hmm. be in New York tomorrow morning. And I was. Yep. I want to come back to our discussion of uh, the Saudi uh, oil fields. And uh, a question that I would ask is, hmm. why would Iran want to do this? Let, let's take the... Uh, the suggestion uh, uh, by the Secretary of State that Iran was behind this. Why would they want to do it, Josh? Well, they would want to do it because there's been a lot of focus in the media and uh, about the crippling sanctions, that their economy is in tatters, that they are failing, uh, that they're not as powerful as they used to be, and that they can't even really feed their own po population anymore. And so this is a way to show we are still a powerful country. That would be the argument for, for doing it. Well, then they wouldn't want to have their name on it, wouldn't they? Well, they wouldn't or, want to disavow any responsibility for it. True, but I think that, look, they, they, they're not going to come out and say they did it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect the Iranians to do it, but to have this air of mystery mm -hmm. about them, I think it's something that they might like, the, this ambiguity. I don't see know. what they have to gain by why it. Would the, why would the Yemens want to take, uh, take credit for it, Art? I think that's a good logical point. We don't know. One thing we do know, and uh, since we started demonizing Iran way back in 1979 after the revolution, we tend to forget this, it's not a unified totalitarian dictatorship. It's a bunch of mullahs and a bunch of factions, often at war with one another, uh, they've been steadily losing ground in terms of elections. They actually have elections, but they're certainly not a unified, uh, disciplined state. In that context, it's possible that one faction decided to do this and could carry it off. But the, the important point in today's media, and you're very sensitive to this, and I admire you for it, is that this is all speculation. We don't know. Uh, the ghost of Walter Cronkite should be respected at all times. He spent 30 minutes on the air giving facts a long time ago. We should focus on what facts are available. Well, I think John said a little while ago, I mean, this, this just happened yesterday, so we need three or four days to find out, but clearly you have, you have... We may never human, find, well, we we may may, never we find may out. We may never find out. Yeah. But I'm just saying is that at this moment, uh, the, the, the mojo of the discussion is responding to what the Secretary of State said versus mm -hmm. the Yemenis yeah. saying they accepted it. I'm just saying, which we talked about in the last segment, I, I, long, I long for the days that when the Secretary of State or the CIA said something, we sort of believed that. Yeah. But we don't, I mean, we haven't done that for the last 35 years. That's also years. an excellent point, Bruce. The U.S. government, when it's an important matter, produces evidence and shows that evidence. <clears throat> Sometimes the evidence uh, is confabulated for all, all those like to the UN about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, but uh, in a more positive and admirable context, also the UN. Uh, the Kennedy administration was quick to put before the Security Council and therefore the world on television hard evidence that the Soviets had lied about not putting offensive missiles in Cuba. I, I would recommend respectfully the Secretary of State show some evidence if we have hard evidence because we don't believe the government uh, the way we used to, as you gentlemen pointed out. And uh, Representative Cheney Lynn Cheney of Wyoming said today that she thinks the president should, w should withdraw 
the passports for the Iranian ambassador, the president, and all of the members of the UN delegation from Iran. Does anybody think that's a good idea? And literally, don't let them come to, don't let them not only come to the United States to talk to President Trump, and he said he'd be willing to talk with them, although that was a couple of days ago. I well, said, should I, he talk with them? I, but what about the whole issue of talking to them and talking to the Taliban? Huh? Well, that, the Taliban is a whole other issue. I hope you're going to talk about that we as are. well. Right I mean, the whole, idea of, the whole idea of isolating a regime, though, we've seen that it doesn't work with the North Koreans. You can isolate and isolate and isolate, and as long as they have resources and people who are helping them through the black market and through back channels to get arms and goods and everything else, they're going to keep going. I think the thing that we've learned with all of this, with the Iranians in particular, is that even if you have so-called crippling sanctions, they're not crippling. They're still operating. They're still able to create mischief in the world. And if you isolate them by pulling their passports, I don't know that that does much good Didn't either. work with Cuba. So I'm, I'm not in favor of pulling their passports at this point. I mean, that, that seems like an extreme reaction. But it's That's whole, the hard right response, at least as of today. Right. But that's as of today. I think that hopefully there will be some thought before that is really considered by the administration. But I would say this. In terms of sitting down and talking with the Iranians, that, that, that's a different subject. And... You know, Bolton, can, you sit, can you sit down and talk with them now? I mean, between now and, and 10 days from now when they're supposed to be at the U.N., uh, can this thing be, be, be wrapped up so quickly? Uh, don't they have to address what happened uh, to the Saudi oil fields first? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think that this investigation needs to go forward before there is any talk about discussions, one-on-one discussions with the Iranians. And we've got to pause. one 800 723 8029 from coast to coast and border to border and around the world on beyondthebeltway.com. I'm Bruce Dumont. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov slash emergency. Uh, whoever heads the conservative the Labor Party. We are back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. By the way, let me mention that uh, these uh, the video clips that we're putting into the uh, YouTube portion of the show, uh, if you are a regular viewer or listener to Beyond the Beltway and you have a nice, beautiful shot of your hometown, you can just uh, send it, send a little video to us at Beyond the Beltway 2019. Send us a, a video file, and we'll include your video file as we move on because we want to get as, as many videos that we have out there of people uh, or regions and, and cities and towns and villages where they're watching and listening to Beyond the Beltway. That's sort of what we're attempting to do with our, our video bumpers. And so if you would like to join us, if you've got a 
you got a cell phone or an iPhone 6 or an Android, take a nice little picture, keep it nice and steady. Give us about 30 seconds of a beauty shot. Uh, it could be you and your wife, uh, you know, watching the show, uh, uh, eating popcorn, if that's what you want to do. Mm. Well, that's a beauty shot, you know. Absolutely. We had one, Absolutely. Guy, we had one guy from Youngstown, Ohio. See, he used to call and he used to say, I listen to you every Sunday night in the hot tub with my wife. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't necessarily want that picture, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Now, We've that's got a, great that's guests. a compliment to you, Bruce. <laughs> we have great guests this evening, and we're going to begin with Art Sear, who's going to look into the camera and tell everybody who he is and why he's here. Well, I work at the Clawson Center for World Business at Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Tom Clawson is our graduate who ran Bank of America and the World Bank. We've also had the honor of another uh, distinguished association with Bruce Dumont, who's been a visitor for some, some time, regularly, every election year. We've done a couple of remotes. Maybe we'll do another one next year. That's an idea, we Bruce. Did the, in 2016, yeah. we did the last show of the campaign from mm -hmm. Carthage College. And everybody on the panel said that Hillary Clinton was going to win, except mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll invite, we'll be back. Yeah, All right. Okay. If you want to learn the truth, come to Carthage. No, that was that was heresy <laughs> uh, at that point. Josh yeah. Cantro, tell us who you are. I am a uh, cybersecurity and privacy attorney. I defend uh, businesses when they get uh, in trouble on privacy and cybersecurity and other matters. I'm also a uh, moderate Republican activist and uh, pro-Israel activist as well. Uh, I live in Chicago, which uh, I'm somewhat of a rare breed. I think there are about five Republicans in my zip code, <laughs> which is the fifth most liberal zip code in in the entire country. <laughs> and I and think I'm, a lot of listeners would say that they, they don't think you're a moderate Republican at all. <laughs> <laughs> they would, but in Chicago, you're going to be a moderate Republican. I, I, I guess so, yeah. John McDonough. John, old friend? I have uh, been, uh, for many years, did... Uh, Historical pieces for uh, National Public Radio's All Things Considered. Uh, worked with um, Bob Trout, Walter Cronkite on those, and uh, did a number myself. Uh, these days, I'm uh, on the um, uh, Bean and School of Music faculty up at Northwestern University. Teach a um, music history course up there. And we go to Dickcom. Yes, I'm One Nick of Com. my favorite Facebook friends. Thank you, <laughs> Bruce. Uh, I am Nick Com. I'm the founder and president of a communications consulting firm called Reputation Partners. So as you can imagine, we deal with all manners of reputational issues for companies, universities, not-for-profits, and executives. Speaking of that, this past week the Democrats had yet another debate. And during that debate, uh, which everyone expected, they expected that the big three of Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders were going to go after each other, which they did. And everyone said, watch out for the other four or five that are out there because they've got to say something, they've got to do something that propels them back into the picture. Well, Julian Castro did, and this is how it played out. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Well... The big thing was whether that was an attack on his age. Do you think it was, John? I thought so. It came off that way to me. And uh, what was your reaction? I, I didn't think the earth moved for anybody really on that debate, except maybe for Castro when he did that. Down. Yeah, down. Okay. Josh, I what would you comment on the Democrats? Uh, I, I would say that that was fairly disgraceful, what Castro did uh, there. 
Um, it was clearly an attack on Biden's age. As I've said before on the show, Biden is not the brightest bulb in the bunch. He never has been. It's been an open secret in Washington for years. Um, but to to so brazenly make an attack on his age like that. But the, wasn't the problem that he he misheard Castro misheard what Biden said. In other words, he thought he thought he had a gotcha moment, yeah. and his facts were wrong. Yeah. But if his facts were right, would you still have viewed it as an attack on Biden's age, or or would it have been a home run? What do you think, Nick? Well, I think if he'd gotten the if fact, Castro was right, if he'd uh, yeah, it's almost irrelevant, Bruce. I would say I think because okay. there are whispers that are more than whispers throughout the Democratic Party about whether Joe Biden is mentally and physically ready to campaign, let alone to serve. I mean, and again, it's not about age per se, because he and Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump are all roughly the same age. They're all mm -hmm. in their mid-70s, early to mid-70s. Um, there's obviously questions about Trump's mental fitness. There aren't about I Elizabeth Warren. I think Elizabeth Warren's. Warren is 69 now. I don't think she's 70 yet. Okay. She's going to be. So and, right and she that, looks a lot younger. Yeah. But I think Biden people, I can only imagine how hard it must have been for Biden's campaign staff to literally hold their breaths for three hours during that debate, waiting to see if he was going to have a gaffe. That was it. So he is the early. I think every staff probably was holding their well, breath. Well, of course. But I mean, but in but particular, yeah, right, because right. he is very gaffe prone. People have talked about that. The Democrats are very nervous with him as the consistent front runner. And you've got. Warren and Sanders, who are basically splitting the far-left vote. If neither one of them drops out, Biden ends up getting the nomination. Art, sir, what did you think of this I, th I think Biden, moment? Biden's stability in the polls indicates that he's, uh, uh, for all the attacks by the Republicans, starting with the president and the media, in my opinion, trying to develop this narrative of old age, uh, Joe Biden, the molester of women, got tremendous <laughs> emphasis and went nowhere. So far, this one hasn't gotten traction either. I believe he's, I believe Democrats, and not just Democrats, desperately want to change in the White House, and he's the one who can actually win. Are you surprised about the media? I talked about this last week. Yeah. Uh, John, I want to get your thoughts. It seems to me that the media doesn't want Joe Biden to get this nomination. It's the a media better, doesn't want yeah, him to get this nomination? Yeah, I, I think that they seem to be picking up on all of these. They seem to be moving the narrative about age as much as uh, uh, Julian Castro. Well, that's why well, I brought up the other issue. It was totally media-driven. Well, well that, uh, it was brilliantly brought up. The media and um, uh, Biden have a kind of symbiotic relationship with, with all these little gaffes, but they're all little kind of harmless. The, the media plays them up more for the fun of it than anything else. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't think anything that uh, Biden has... Uh, has, has uh, he made the remark about... Uh, it reminded me very much of Mayor Daley's remark uh, back at the, in the wake of the 68 riots when he said the Chicago police were not here to, you know, uh, prevent. They were here to preserve disorder. Yeah, right. And, I mean, it was just, uh, it was just yeah. a little uh, 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 wires crossing in the brain. And uh, so, uh, I mean, can you imagine... Uh, uh, if Biden had given a speech on the 4th of July and congratulated uh, George Washington for uh, knocking out some of Cornwallis's airfields. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's those are major yeah. lead gaps. Do you so, agree with that? No, but I don't. But again, the, 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 I, the I, president I, has had significant... You're saying I, he has had no gaps? I, You're both saying... No, this, no, 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 we're not saying I, that. The, this this what ridiculous example about airfields, I mean, compared to the... I mean, there. yes, Trump has gaps for sure, but I mean, this is... If you're going to compare them based on this, mm -hmm. I mean, you've got Biden who is routinely 
making gaffes. And I disagree with you, Bruce. I think the media is covering but them Trump up. Trump routinely so, lies. And that's Bi really look, the... Look, Biden has been making gaffes mm -hmm. for 40 years yeah. now. <laughs> Biden has been plagiarizing for 40 years now. And there's a reason he does it. He's not smart. He doesn't have the mental capacity to be president. Biden, I have to di disagree with, with those who have said that he's going to be the nominee. He's not going to be. If you look at the... Biden is the one moderate standing right now. That's 30%. He's got 30% of the vote. The rest of it is 70% is with the left wing of the party. Eventually, the left, the progressives are going to choose between Sanders and or Elizabeth Warren. And I think one of them, probably Warren, is going to be the nominee. Mm -hmm. I don't see that Biden, he doesn't have the... He doesn't have the stamina to get through this. Assuming thing. Biden is the nominee, how how important does that make the vice presidential slot? Oh, I think the vice presidential spot will be very important this time. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that it's going to bring a state or a region, but I think it's you know when you have someone who is of that age, uh, mm -hmm. you've got to you've got to look at that. You've got to look at that with with Donald Trump as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, Donald Trump is this you know obviously v extremely vigorous man of his age, but mm -hmm. you know. You know, there is the clock. There is the, the clock that Donald Trump is is not a young man. He's a vibrant man, but you know, he could wake up tomorrow and not be very vibrant. What's and who do you happen? think who do you think the Democrats would turn to as a vice president, as I a running know. mate for Biden? It, uh, do you think they turn to? Uh, I, I think um, it would be a woman. I a think woman. it would be a okay. woman, and I think it would likely be uh, a woman of color. Oh, mm -hmm. but I do believe that it, it makes someone again. Just looking at the, sort of the other people, I thought that Amy Klobuchar had her best debate. Agreed. She, she, wasn't, she wasn't a blockbuster, but she no. was there. I thought Cory Booker had his best debate, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that uh, up until a particular time, and maybe maybe you disagree with this, I, I thought that Beto O'Rourke had a very good debate. In fact, we're going to play a clip right now from Beto O'Rourke, because uh, rhetorically, he stole the show last week. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be Well, so Bruce, do you remember how uh, the Democrats were basically denying that they were going to take people's guns? Yes. I well, think that ship has now sailed. No, it has, is, well, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you respond to it. Okay. That was probably the biggest <laughs> quote. They actually, those the, the two quotes that we just played for you, they were the big quotes of the Democratic debate. We'll talk more about that when we come back. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine, and we will ask the question before the break. Coming to take your AR, uh, AR fifteen. Your reaction if they did that. <clears throat> at your house, what would you do? Back shortly. Goodman Theater presents the Broadway sensation Bernhard Hamlet, a rollicking comedy about the original diva, legendary actress Sarah Bernhardt. It's 1899, and Bernhardt tackles her most ambitious part yet, Hamlet. The gossip flies and society gasps as gender roles are put to the test. The New York Times calls it a breakneck backstage comedy and says it's so clever it uplifts. Bernhard Hamlet runs through October 20th. Get tickets today at GoodmanTheater.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for being with us. Uh, we were talking about uh, the Democratic debate, and uh, uh, let's, let's go back to the point that you made, because when I heard uh, Beto O'Rourke say what he said, 
He certainly was playing to the crowd. Yeah. He got the biggest response of the night. I knew he was going to get the quote of the debate, and I think it probably was, it might have even outshined, uh, you know, Castro. Uh, but um, th that, that he's all, he already has T-shirts out. I mean, and you buy them from the Beto presidential campaign. He's got T-shirts out with that quote on it. And I'm wondering, how many Democratic candidates for some office is he going to sink with that rhetoric? Well, no, but I think this is actually the shift that you are seeing as the Democrats shift ever further left. Remember back on the abortion issue when uh, Democrats talked about it's going to be safe and rare? And now it's like celebrating my abortion. They're moving further to the left. And again, there's an element of the country that's moving that way, too. You've got socialism, the popularity of socialism at like a 50-year high, support for late trade unions also at like a 50-year high. And suburban Republicans. Right. But so you've got that kind of a shift. But if you, the single biggest factor in driving gun sales is when you have presidential candidates or people on a national level making those kind of statements. Gun sales go up because people are worried. And then the last thing is we can't figure out how we're going to deal with 11 million illegal immigrants in this country, but we're going to figure out how to confiscate 300 million guns? Beto Josh. is going nowhere, nowhere in this race at all. And he did a great disservice to his party by exposing their true feelings about guns. That is the mainstream view in the Democrat Party now. They do want to come in and take away people's guns. And this election is going to be won in places like Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, where there are conservative Democrats that are not going so you, to react to, to that very well. So you're saying that he he did a disservice yes. to his party yes. by telling people what he actually believes. And what the Democratic Party exactly. actually believes. That is what the base of the party but wouldn't, believes. But wouldn't the founding fathers say that we, we want a country where... Uh, informed voters are voting and they're voting on what they really want and would you acknowledge that maybe maybe the majority of people that would vote might agree with Beto O'Rourke is that possible? Do you think it's possible? I, I don't think it's possible. Do you think it's possible, John? Well, it is possible. There was a mirror image of this in a couple of the Republican debates four years ago where uh, you had some, uh, uh, you know, uh, debate participants who were on the kind of the, you know, far-right fringe uh, make some, um, I can't be specific, I can't remember a specific example, but they threw out some remarks that were just either blatantly racist or, you know, patently extreme. Uh, on their merits, and they provoked, you know, enormous cheers from the audience. And the media pointed to this and said that this is the real temperature of the Republican Party. It's dangerous uh, on the basis of those reactions. And the O'Rourke uh, situation was very much the same thing uh, in uh, in reverse. Uh, I think. Uh, I, I don't see, I don't understand the, uh, you know, the need of people to have military-grade weapons. Um, if if there was any hope or any uh, reality behind this uh, applause line, which is what it was, it would certainly uh, put a, uh, a new dimension to imminent domain because that's the only thing he would really uh, um, have to you know, justify a, a mandatory buyback of uh, this kind of weaponry. Art, sir, where do you come down on, on uh, whether or not Beto O'Rourke paid a, a, did a good thing the other night by putting his position out there, even though it may it may hurt some Democrats, 
you at least know where he stands on this issue. I, I he was not mealy-mouthed on this issue. I think the Democratic presidential nominee will have an impact on uh, other candidates around the country. I don't think any of these contenders right now is going to have an impact on other Democratic candidates. I also think that Mr. Uh, Mr. Connell made a very good point, among other good points, when he mentioned that, uh, reminded us the primaries haven't really started yet, and it's impossible for us to predict what's going to happen. Jimmy Carter was at 1%, believe it or not, in early 76, when before the primaries got going, when he got the nomination. I don't think it's, to actually give you a straighter answer, I don't think it's going to turn on gun control. I don't think the election is going but to on turn a bigger, on, on a bigger, no, I don't broader, think he on a bigger broader issue than is, you know, we, we have uh, the, the, the media primarily saying that basically Bernie Sanders and to, I guess, a somewhat lesser degree, Elizabeth Warren, they represent a socialist democratic agenda. Certainly Bernie Sanders does. And, uh, you know, I happen to believe that had Bernie Sanders been the nominee four years ago, I think Bernie Sanders would have beaten Donald Trump. I do, because of the momentum, what was going on in the body politic. I think it's four years later, I think he's lost a step. He's sort of yesterday's news. She, uh, Elizabeth Warren, is not as vibrant a speaker as Bernie Sanders. She's, she's very sharp. I'm not denying it. But I'm just saying is that a, a true vote between capitalism and, and democratic socialism isn't that what the Founding Fathers wanted? That, a robust the, right. debate, right or wrong, you put it out there, you may have a horrible opinion. If your opinion is wrong and the majority of the people vote yes for it, guess what? It must not have been horrible, uh, a horrible idea. Thank and you. that's what it's going to come down to in the general election, a choice between capitalism and democratic socialism. Right. That's going to be the, the frame of the debate. And you're confident that, so, that capitalism would win. I, I'm, I'm as confident as I can, given that Donald Trump is the guy up there leading the charge. What do you think? <laughs> I think the word uh, socialism is, to some extent, losing uh, some of its appropriate. He's right. It's uh, 40 years uh, away from the Cold War, and it's not the smear that it used to be. Also, socialism okay. involves nationalization of industry. It's a good, good idea to take out a dictionary once in a while, people, with the conservative media and conservatives generally are accusing the Democrats of isn't socialism. Let's have the next we show in Venezuela. We will be right back with another hour of Beyond the Beltway. No. Don't go away. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Brett Kavanaugh. No. presents the Broadway sensation Bernhard Hamlet, a rollicking comedy about the original diva, legendary actress Sarah Bernhardt. It's 1899, and Bernhardt tackles her most ambitious part yet, Hamlet. The gossip flies and society gasps as gender roles are put to the test. The New York Times calls it a breakneck backstage comedy and says it's so clever it uplifts. Bernhard Hamlet runs through October 20th. Get tickets today at goodmantheater.org. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security. 
securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Dumont back with hour number two of Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number. We've talked, talked about a variety of things this evening and some of those topics we may get back to. But again, uh, uh, John McDonough, you, an issue that is of concern to you, which is also on the front page of the New York Times, which I'm sure that happens frequently, uh, is uh, Brett Kavanaugh on mm-hmm. the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, obviously, he went through a great deal of publicity and negative publicity, Mm -hmm. and he made it to the Supreme Court. And now uh, two reporters from the New York Times have come out with a story that said, uh, 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 oi, not so fast. He might have made it to the Supreme Court in a nefarious way. Well, since is that this a is, quick, is that a good summary? That's not a bad summary, and since this is a show about rumor and innuendo, we might as well uh, talk about it <laughs> sure. since we don't know anything else about it. Uh, I, I would say at the outset that um, when the uh, original uh, Ford accusation, uh, Blasey Ford, Ford accusation uh, came up a year ago, um, 
I, I, was, I did not have any desire to see Kavanaugh seated on the Supreme Court, but I, if he was not going to be seated, I, sh I thought it should be on the basis of his legal thinking, not on the basis of what he was doing sexually in college 40 years ago or whatever it was. Uh, and I'm always uh, uh, really reluctant to judge a person on the person he was at the age of 18 or 19. Uh, so that being said, uh, I'm afraid really all we have at this point is uh, the New York Times story and the, uh, the uh, accusations of this uh, woman, uh, Ramirez, who raised her hand, I believe, uh, a year ago when this debate was going full force, but um, her, uh, her charges were not fully investigated. Uh, in fact, I think the FBI didn't uh, uh, talk to any of the people uh, who could have confirmed uh, her story. Uh, anyway, what we're left with is the possibility, and this is only an outlying possibility, of uh, if these charges of Ramirez are confirmed or to the satisfaction of a, enough people, um, then you have uh, you know, an impeachment movement against the Supreme Court justice, and I don't think that's ever happened in this country. Um, for uh, perjury, essentially, uh, lying under oath uh, during his hearings. And that, of course, would raise you know, other questions of perjury. I mean, I think of all the uh, Supreme Court nominees who have uh, pledged their loyalty to stare decisis, and then once they get on the court, uh, you know, so much for that. Uh, is Can that you tell us what stare decisis is? Stare decisis is respect for court precedent, historic precedent. And um, uh, so, you know, I... That's really. So I, I don't have any really thing, anything of great substance to say about the uh, uh, Kavanaugh situation at this time because there's no really no information. I think. Uh, I think the rumor that Democrats are gracious losers mm -hmm. is probably a false one at mm -hmm. this point. Clearly, again, where was this during the hearing? Mm -hmm. If it was a credible charge against Kavanaugh, and it was something that supposedly people were trying to bring to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. Do we not think that Senator Feinstein's staff wouldn't have been all over it and would have made it a bigger issue? Well, there were issue? so many restrictions put on that. Mm -hmm. uh, no, 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 no. I think my theory about yeah. all of this is this. Why is this coming out now? Why? With him already... I think the reason is that we are not hearing certain things about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health, mm -hmm. and there is probably a growing concern that yes. her time on the Supreme Court is growing very, very short. Yes. And because of that, they must undermine the credibility of the most recent nominee so that President Trump isn't able to nominate a replacement well, for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, and, and they've, got to, they've, got to stir up, they've got to stir up the pot before the story becomes... Debatable, right? And and and, and to your point, uh, Molly Hemingway wrote a great book, Justice on Trial, which talked about the smear campaign, the organized smear campaign against Kavanaugh, and it was really disgusting what the mainstream media and their allies did. The New Yorker ran the Ramirez story when it was unconfirmed. There's still not much more to it there. All of this has been aired, but I want to say this, just like I've said with regard to impeaching Trump. If the Democrats want to go for it, by all means, do it. Because you know what? The whole Kavanaugh thing backfired on them. They lost probably three Senate seats because of that. Mm -hmm. They had all the momentum in the House, but in the Senate, Claire McCaskill, um, Heidi Heitkamp, and at least one other senator uh, who came out against uh, 
who came out against uh, Kavanaugh did not fare so well in very contested Donald. races. Well, it was the closest to confirmation yeah. vote, I think, in history for a Supreme Court well, we're a divided country, hello. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, everything mm -hmm. is divided. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, until recent years, it used to be, uh, unless there was something really serious, in which case the candidate would withdraw, no, overwhelming majorities of the mm -hmm. Senate would vote for a Supreme Court candidate case, there is a for the public oh. good. Because it was in the public interest, and a good term to keep that. in mind nowadays. If there is a liberal vacancy on the court next spring, uh, obviously we're all safe because the McConnell rule will uh, will will be enforced, right? You think so? But, but let's, of course let's, not. let's look <laughs> at how John, you want to bet on that. <laughs> let's look not. at how Republicans have treated Democratic nominees. I think uh, Elena Kagan got in with like 66 votes or 68 votes or something so like that. Sotomayor was very similar. But it's the Democrats who are really, you know, they, they are so concerned about abortion that they're going to do anything to undermine any nominee. It doesn't have to be Brett Kavanaugh. Look, Neil Gorsuch was a very close vote. I think it was well, maybe two more votes than Kavanaugh. Well, also, the, 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 the public point is that, you know, this was a big story a year ago. A book is coming out now. I mean, if I if I am the editor of the New York Times, I want to know why why two of my reporters are writing a book about a subject that they didn't report in the New York Times. Hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I because the, the story I... here is that the FBI didn't do a thorough investigation. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to do a thorough investigation when the Democrats were demanding it. Everyone was surprised. That the, re that the report came back so quickly, I think a lot of people probably questioned how... There was how a lot of pressure on them. A lot of pressure on them. But, I mean, they did sort of exonerate uh, him at that particular moment, and it was rather quick. So now the question is, these are stories that came out and should have come out then, but I can't believe that some of the reporters... You know, uh, Ryan Farrow, I mean, I can't believe that he would not have been doing some follow-up stories that we would have not have to wait a well, year for, a, for another shoe to fall on this case. Because this was one of his early cases. This was to, one of his stories. We'd have, to, uh, we'd have to look at, you know, the editorial review process that was in place at the, at the time, at the times. Uh, no. I mean, you know, maybe the story was, uh, you know, submitted and, um, you know, editorial you know hierarchy do you, uh, different john, opinion do you, john do you 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 are a uh, you are a true believer in truth justice of the american way <laughs> as as you have defined it you uh, you you love the new york times do you understand why so many people in this country of a different political persuasion question the the accuracy and the integrity of the New York Times. No, no, in these I no, I, I wrote notes. for the Wall Street Journal for twenty over twenty years. So I mean that's, uh, uh, I mean they're they're both great papers, and uh, you divide every like every great paper, it's divided into an editorial, an opinion, uh, and a hard news segment. There's a wall between, and uh, uh, I think I would trust a Wall Street Journal, uh, a, piece, a piece of Wall Street Journal journalism as quickly as I would trust the New York Times or Washington Post or a Chicago Tribune uh, okay. uh, piece of journalism. we got to pause. We'll hear from the other side when we come back. 1-800-723-8289. I'm Bruce Dumoulin. Thanks for joining us. My name is Bobby. 
I am a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. I have been the Democrats. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. I want to read a quote from uh, the president. This is on uh, the uh, burning of the oil fields, the attack uh, on the oil fields. Uh, and he said this afternoon, I'm going to read this right from my phone with my glasses, so pardon me. Uh, there is reason to believe we know the culprit are locked and loaded depending on the verification, but we are waiting to hear from the kingdom as to who they believe was the cause of the attack and under what terms we would proceed, end of quote. So the president is basically saying that the United States is locked and loaded, but basically they're waiting to hear from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia as to how Saudi Arabia uh, thinks that we should respond and who they think is responsible. And again, he didn't address uh, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo. Uh, he addressed the issue of that he didn't believe uh, the Yemenis sources who said that they were responsible. He dismissed that, went right to Iran, pointed the finger uh, at Iran, and now the president is saying that he wants to talk uh, to his buddy over at the kingdom to find out who they believe was responsible. I guess my question, because we talked about whether, there, whether or not there would be U.S. military response to this, and, and in the first hour, nobody seemed to think that there would be that at least art you didn't believe that the ball is still in the air the ball is still in the air but my question to you uh, begin with you uh, art um do you um how strong is saudi arabia i mean i think most people listening to the show know that the united states sells an awful lot of armaments to saudi arabia has for decades i mean is saudi arabia strong enough to fight its own battle if they were to decide to retaliate against Iran or uh, Yemen or whoever they decide uh, is responsible for this. It's their property. I think uh, we should fight our battles and we should leave it to other nations to fight theirs. Any kind of response of consequence against this attack should be uh, one that's orchestrated with allies, uh, ideally the UN. To give you a straight answer, Henry Kissinger said, once that Saudi Arabia isn't a country. It's a very large, rich family surrounded by a lot of sand and some citizens <laughs> and foreign workers and uh, a lot of armaments, also hired mercenaries. Their pilots performed extremely well during the first Gulf War, but it's a country that's very vulnerable and their insecurity is a big reason why they've funded extreme Islamic um, uh, mad madrasa schools, other extreme groups around the world. I'm not saying they're directly supporting terrorism, but we sure as hell should not let Saudi Arabia or any other di country dictate American foreign policy. Does it sound like that's what the president is doing with the 
with the quote that I just read? Well, I think the president should speak for himself, and he often does. I do think uh, one reason why Eisenhower looks better and better all the time is because he was quite aware of the power of his office, effective at using it, and he didn't sound off all the time. That's the way to be a president of the United States and succeed. If, if Iran decided, not, I'm sorry, Iran, if Saudi Arabia decided that they wanted to pursue, that, that they, they figure out who they think the culprit is, uh, who would they bring to their side in a, in a military battle, in your view? Uh, Nick, calm. So who would the Saudis bring? Yeah, who, who, I mean, the Saudis, as Art said, they're, they're a country, but they're a large family. Who would they bring? I mean, who, who would help them fight their battle against Iran if they, too, believe that it's Iran? Maybe Jordan, maybe Egypt, maybe Iraq, even. Again, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, and, of course, there is a U.S. role to play there. But, I mean, I, I have to say, and again, I'm, I've been uh, pretty vocal on both uh, supporting and critical of Donald Trump. When I hear this locked and loaded thing, I think there is as much chance of me riding the winning uh, horse at Arlington as there is us taking any military action against Iran. I, I agree with Nick because this is not what he ran on and this is not what his base wants. He dismissed Bolton. He got rid of that wing of the party. And he is, he is, this would be a betrayal of what he ran on. So I don't see him doing it. I'd like, I agree with Art. I mean, it, the, the Saudis were the ones attacked. Let them handle it. John. I have, I have no real thought on that. I, I suspect uh, that um, the United States and NATO would probably uh, become involved if, if there was a willingness to do it. But I don't see the, the willingness to do it. No. Not this isn't NATO. an attack on a NATO ally. No. I, well, it's uh, no, that's true. I'm not even sure but we it would do threaten, anything if there it, were an it, it attack could, on a right. NATO it ally. It could threaten, uh, you know, NATO oil supplies theoretically. Yeah, yeah but uh, NATO but, is basically the U.S. The president. I know right exactly. About that. I exactly. mean, we're yeah. the ones who spend the money, mm -hmm. and I'm tired of spending money. As a mm -hmm. taxpayer, we all should be tired of it. I mean, mm -hmm. it is. Uh, let these other countries defend themselves. Let's call uh, Bolton and ask what he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, get uh, get John Bolton on the <laughs> The next show. Let's go to Don. By the way, we're not going to. We don't have John. We have Don. Closest thing we could do. <laughs> Don is in Austin, Texas, listening to us on one of America's great talk radio stations, KLBJ. Don, go ahead. Let's hear from Texas tonight. Anyway, I was just thinking, what? Uh, who? Who? Who benefits? Or Quay Bono? Uh, who would be benefited in uh, an attack? And uh, I'm getting a kind of echo here. Anyway, okay. it seems like it would not benefit uh, Iran. And I, they, let, they may be being set up set up like it apparently could have been with the uh, supposed uh, torpedoing the boats. And uh, the West Texas crude has been at a low price recently. And it's uh, at a point where they may impact their industry. And I thought that, I know they didn't do it, though. Okay. okay. Well, let, let's, let's uh, thank you for bringing that up. We're going to discuss that. We touched okay. on it earlier in the show, but I want to start the discussion. We'll start with you, Josh. Um, uh, who, who, uh, who is the winner and who is the loser in this? Because we talked in the first hour, we talked about why would Iran do this? I mean, right. the Pompeo thinks that Iran did it. Why would Iran do it and why would they do it now? I mean, I, the, the only thing that I can think is that they want to show that they're a strong country, given that the Trump administration has been so effective in crippling their economy. 
That's the only thing that I can think. They want to show strength. And then why would they be doing it anonymously then? That's the question. Uh, 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 again, yeah. that's that's a good response. They want to that keep I, the I ambiguity have, in the air? Right. I, I don't have the answer for it. Yeah. And I'm not coming on the show and stating that yeah. I think Iran no, did right. it. No. I think we need to investigate this. Yeah. And but again, if if, 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 if if Iran did do it, and I'm not so sure they did do it, could one of the reasons be that they know what you just stated? Donald Trump said that he does he wants to get troops out of the Middle East. He doesn't want more troops in there. He is he is he is against the previous administration's right. policies towards sending in troops in that region of the world. So he doesn't want to do that. Is this a way that that Iran may want to force him? Sure. Well, they want to see how far they can push him because at a certain at a certain point. Donald Trump might be viewed as a paper tiger, again, especially if he's saying locked and loaded to his right wing, and then he does nothing. It puts him in a politically perilous situation, and maybe the Iranians want to do that. Maybe that's the reason. Why wouldn't they want to do that to him? Make him look weak. Yeah. Uh, Well, I, I could see that being a reason, that they want to make him look weak, because they don't like Donald Trump. And, they, and, I'm, and I'm not convinced the Iranians don't want war. I mean, again, they have been under siege for a long time. You know, if they want to, if the mullahs want to hold on to power, one of the best ways to do that, the same way people talk about wag the dog in this country, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to hold on to power, you go to war. Uh, Art Sear, your response. I thought, no, a lot I of Machiavellian thinking here, but what's yeah, going on here? I, I, it's, again, it's speculation. Let's wait and see what kind yeah. of evidence can be produced. I think... As mentioned before, it's imperative for the administration to produce some evidence if they're going to make specific accusations. And it's incumbent on the Secretary of State to do so. Does the use of drones signal to you that uh, one, one side of this story or not? Are drones, obviously we know we use drones in that region. You know, there are, there are conspiratorialists out there right now saying... Maybe we did it. Yep. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying anybody can use a drone. Uh, mm-hmm. These yeah. days, and, yeah. and, a, and the use of a, drones. What does the use of drones in this case? Because obviously it has a significant economic impact. What does it say about the general use of drones in warfare, even 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 homeland security? Are we into a whole new area of, of worrying about drone attacks, even in the United States? So I, I would say this is that. Obama really introduced drones, um, and I don't blame him for that. I mean, we were a war-weary country at the time he entered office, and a lot of the attacks that he carried out were with drones. But that's the world we live in now, and who knows if some of these drones have fallen into the hands of terrorist organizations. As we said earlier during the first hour, we don't know. It's not like Pearl Harbor where we know it was the Japanese. We, we don't know what country did this. It could be a terrorist group, mm-hmm. for all we know. Right. And it's scary when you think about drones falling into the hands of terrorist organizations. But Let's it is, go to it Jay is. in Wilmington, North Carolina, listening to us on the YouTube. Go ahead, Jay. Are you there? Jay, are you there? Yes, sir. Go ahead. We've only got about a minute for you. Go ahead. Okay, the reason that Iran attacked Saudi Arabia. I'm getting an echo here, but... That's okay, we're hearing you. Um, they did it to increase the price of oil in the spot market because they're 
We've got all kinds of sanctions against them. That's the reason they did it. Okay. okay. All right. Do you agree with that? It was a financial maneuver. It was a, it was a financial maneuver. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, they still depend, even though a lot of their resources have been frozen, they still depend on oil as a big part of it. Right. If, yeah. the, if it's correct that this is going to drive up oil prices, that could indeed be a part of the motivation. Right. It, it, it could be, but we just, again, we just don't know enough. Mm -hmm. When we come back, uh, we've touched a lot of hot topics. When we come back, we're going to talk about gun control. Back shortly. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov slash emergency. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, I want to go back to a discussion that we had uh, about 20 minutes ago. We were talking about the Democratic uh, primary debate, and we were talking about uh, the uh, those that had to sort of fight their way and get claw their way into the top three. Um, we talked about uh, that Castro uh, slipped badly. We talked about whether Beto got himself, whether he built himself up. And I want to just talk from a political standpoint in this Democratic field. Did Beto O'Rourke help himself with his very out there position on guns? I think in this Democratic yeah. field, absolutely he did. Yeah. But as I said before, he did a great disservice to the Democratic Party generally by exposing their true feelings about taking away guns. Art, what about you? Well, like I said before, I don't think it's going to be a principal issue in the... Um, campaign, either the primaries or the general Gun, election. Guns? Guns or not? Guns? No, I don't think so. Okay. Compared to others, it is a highly emotive issue, and in both parties today, you've got the basic challenge that you have to get through a bunch of zealots and activists on the left and right, respectively, and then appeal to the middle. The As you look at the Democratic field, this challenge for, for any um, ultimately successful nominee. Is the only person in that field that you're comfortable with, and I don't mean that you're going to vote for him, uh, would be Joe Biden, because at least he has some experience in foreign affairs, which is near and dear to your heart? No. No, I'm, I don't have that, that bias. I said earlier that I think he's electable and more electable, but as it's also been pointed out, we'll have to see what the primaries uh, indicate. No, is it because I'm an older person, Bruce? No, but uh, they want, but, but am I the, stumbling the, on the air? The primary <laughs> voter, by the way, uh, a, a, a younger uh, uh, listener just, uh, just called and, and, and chided me for say, using the term the YouTube. It's YouTube. It's not the, the YouTube. YouTube. Well, of course. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be old every, soon someday. Get off my lawn. Get every, off my lawn. Every customer is valuable for us. Every listener is. Yeah. 
Yes, important. Mm-hmm. No, but d- does it bother you that, that foreign policy has not been yeah, part of this uh, big debate at all? By contrast, speaking of young people, they're so audiovisual. Uh, I embrace that, but I get even in teaching by showing old oh. films and old videos. Executive Suite, a classic from 1955, which addresses gender relations, among right. other things, Robert and the influence Wise of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patton, and also the first Kennedy-Nixon debate. Mm-hmm. I have a VHS mm-hmm. tape, a VHS tape, thanks to Bruce Dumont, mm-hmm. but you can also find That's it on right. YouTube. They're both very good. Now, occasionally a group of young people will be swept off their feet by Jack Kennedy, but most classes think, wow, they're really terrific. Two grown-up men, they don't blow kisses at each other, they don't insult each other, because they wouldn't have gotten elected if they did. They talk in depth about serious issues. Now, Nixon does... And the questions were better. Uh, absolutely, mm-hmm. but also biased. Uh, yes. And this gets to the point. Thank you for that opening. Um, they were supposed to be talking about domestic affairs. And Jack Kennedy shamelessly kept bringing up the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. They're going to bury us. They're way ahead in science, technology, missiles, <coughs> space. Um, and Nixon looked irritable and resentful, as he often did. In this case, it was he would kept politely trying to get the debate back on track. And none of the none of the shamelessly pro Kennedy reporters, the four on the panel, would actually make that point. It shows how dominant foreign policy was in those days. It's also important to be to remember that the Soviet Union is gone. Japan was taking over the world in the 80s. Uh, they're a very important economy and ally of ours, but nobody discusses them that way anymore. So our, our current demonization of China should be seen in perspective. There was one thank little, you for asking. There was one that little was uh, dissection from that first debate that uh, a lot of people have forgotten. Please. And it surprised a lot of people. It seemed to take the media by surprise and even the candidates by surprise. Um, China was at that time uh, sending some shells, doing some bombing, offshore bombing of Kimoy and Matsu, two little islands that were basically just piles of rock. And the question arose during the debate, what would your response response be to Chinese bombing of Kimoy and Matsu? Well, Nixon being Nixon jumped in and said he'd go to war to to defend Kimoy and Matsu. Kennedy was much more measured, uh, much far less committal. And... Uh, nobody really expected this question to come up, and for no. the next several days, it was a subject of considerable debate in this country. And Nixon ultimately pulled back, mm-hmm. realizing that uh, you know those things were not uh, worth going to war for. The uh, during the, one of the breaks, uh, our Republicans uh, were saying some interesting things uh, nicely about uh, saying nice things about Elizabeth Warren. I want, I want to give you a chance to put that on the record because it's it's not in the context that you would vote for her, but in this field uh, of Democrats, 10 plus, uh, you gave her high marks. I think she's done remarkably well since the whole uh, I'm a Native American scandal seemed mm-hmm. to be derailing her. She recovered from that. She's been campaigning vigorously. She's been steadily moving up in the polls. I definitely think she has a significant shot to be the nominee. <coughs> She's going to have to have Bernie Sanders drop out or really stumble badly for that to happen, because otherwise I do think Biden still is the nominee. But How? she is a formidable campaigner. If she gets the nomination, she will be very formidable against Donald Trump, because she's a fighter like he is. And I think if, you know, from my point of view, God forbid she wins, kiss the economy goodbye. Okay, yeah. Josh. On, on Nick's latter point, 100% agree. I think her ideas are crazy, but I but she is actually surprising me quite a bit. She is vigorous. She is out there. She's got policy uh, positions, and she 
is really taking a lot of the Sanders support, but other candidates' support, and has shot up in the polls big time. If, from just the basic intelligence level, her versus Biden, I mean, it's like night and day. She is able to articulate ideas in clear sentences. She's a- able to um, respond quickly. She's got a quick mind. He doesn't. So I think if it comes down to her and Biden, I could see her prevailing. Oh, yeah. Why does the, I think the $64,000 questionnaire is why would uh, Bernie Sanders drop out? I mean, that, that's the issue because, again, if one of them drop out, uh, they could become the nominee. They could be propelled mathematically yeah. to be it. Or someone else emerges as, the, as uh, you know, a, a stop, you know, a Biden candidate. I, I don't see it happening now. But again, as Art pointed out earlier, we're way ahead of ourselves. Yes. The first primary hasn't happened. We have to see ultimately the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, which is the dominant wing, is going to have to decide, I think, who out of those two they want. Because otherwise, as Nick has pointed out, Biden could sneak in, even though he's just so, I mean, ill-equipped to be the president of the country, probably to be the president of or the mayor of a small town. I mean, this this man is not um, up for the task. Well, there again, if Biden does end up being the nominee, we all agreed earlier that the vice presidency would be uh, a, a key, really yeah. a key thing. Yeah. Uh, he'd have to be, in effect, uh, protected by a strong vice presidential but nominee. But vice presidential candidates have never really moved the needle in general elections. I mean, that's been studied, and that's been prevailing. Yeah, but it's never you know, happened with someone who is as old as Joe Biden. That's the other question. They can so, move the I mean, needle br- down. Yes, that's true. They can true. move the needle down. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, like, Kennedy, Klobuchar, the problem is, I would say that Klobuchar... Uh, is in a position to be that to be a Joe Biden running mate. Yes, but she might be too moderate. Uh, the the uh, the hard lefties might demand a stronger candidate or a person of color. Mm-hmm. Right, and Stacey again, Abrams got, is mm-hmm. pretty much all but running for vice presidency in yeah. a, in a solo I primary. I don't but, know how you go from but a Dan Quayle certainly hurt Bush. Excuse me, it's a really important point, and Bob Dole, arguably, yeah. especially in his uh, ugly Hood vice presidential debate Bush in 76, 76, Bob Dole really helped sink Gerald Ford. And P- Palin, of course, didn't help McCain. But on the, uh, just on looking at the, at the other side, uh, do you think uh, Lyndon Johnson uh, moved the needle on behalf of JFK yeah, in 1960? Absolutely. I think oh, yeah. that's absolutely. the one sure. where it yeah. may have done sure. it. Right. No, no, but so I think sure. You, no, but you were also making a, uh, some points about, uh, because the other thing is that, you know, basically uh, in, a, in a party that's very left and uh, the, the strongest base is African-Americans, the most loyal base, uh, even more so than the Jewish vote. And that is, uh, you look at the big three. The big three are, 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 are three white people. But to your point about African-Americans, African-American support for Joe Biden is rock solid. Yes, yeah. because of, because, but again, can that, can that change? I mean, when you get, when, by the time the campaign gets to, uh, you know, South Carolina, which is where the black vote most frequently uh, shows up uh, in a significant way. I mean, uh, will, will Booker be a viable candidate? I thought it was Booker's best position or, or be- best debate. I mm-hmm. thought it was uh, 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 Kamala Harris's worst debate. 
And what is it? She was she was the belle of the ball for a while, and then she's just she, she seemed had, giddy at times. Just mm -hmm. it was kind of weird. No, she's she, been propped up. She was propped up as a next darling in the Democrat Party, and then has not really taken hold, and then has gotten taken down by Tulsi Gabbard and by her own, I think, uh, questionable performance in this most recent debate. Yeah, she, she laughs a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. weirdly. Now let's let's. <laughs> I want to talk about another issue because. This this will be viewed by many listening to the program as perhaps being a sexist discussion. But I do want to bring it up because I think it's important since we have uh, uh, many uh, you know female candidates, and that is whether or not men can get over a woman's voice to be the leader of the free world. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I think absolutely. I think that is unfortunately. No, I really do. I mean, you're laughing, Art, but no, I think it's a canard I, that that's why Hillary you. Clinton lost. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, again, it's much more a political issue. Look, we have misogynists in this country. We have racists in this country. Mm -hmm. Those are absolutely factors, but yep. I think the American people are ready. We were ready for an African-American president. We're yep. certainly ready for a woman president. Right, yeah. It's much more fact than politics. Elizabeth Warren, and I don't think. I think she has a very pleasant voice. She's smart. She's a smart cookie. Mm -hmm. Very smart. Don't count her out. But Bernie Sanders, you got to wake up and decide what's going to happen. Am I going to get one more chance at the brass ring, <sighs> or am I going to be a kingmaker back shortly from mm -hmm. Chicago? Goodman Theater presents the Broadway sensation Bernhard Hamlet, a rollicking comedy about the original diva, legendary actress Sarah Bernhardt. It's 1899, and Bernhardt tackles her most ambitious part yet, Hamlet. The gossip flies and society gasps as gender roles are put to the test. The New York Times calls it a breakneck backstage comedy and says it's so clever it uplifts. Bernhard Hamlet runs through October 20th. Get tickets today at goodmantheater.org. We don't do a show about Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. We've got a segment left, and uh, I want to kind of bring something up that's not necessarily, uh, you know, on the front pages uh, the, these days, although President Trump has talked about the homelessness situation mm -hmm. in Los Angeles and San Francisco and throughout much of California and has sent some... Uh, uh, some advisors there to do some research to find out, you know, what's what's gone wrong with the state of California, where homelessness appears to be uh, sort of, a, you know, way beyond the the ability of government to deal with it. And I want to just get a general uh, reaction. Is, is there a national uh, response that we should have for the homelessness epidemic? Do you believe? Nick? Well, I think we have to be very concerned about many of the homeless. I mean, a lot of them are mentally ill. And unfortunately, because, and for good reasons, people were deinstitutionalized in the 1960s, and we haven't moved back towards really caring for mental illness in this country. That is a big issue, and a lot of the people that you see on the streets, if you're talking about as a national issue, California is a more complicated question because you've got a bit of a magnet going on. People are being attracted to those markets for weather, for social services, for other things. You've got a housing crisis because of rent control and all, all of that. But, I mean, that's, there's a lot more to it in California specifically, but that's also where it's at its biggest crisis point. Josh? I agree with Nick. It's it's a mental health problem. Uh that's a big part of it. And for too long, mental illness has been stigmatized in this country. And I think we're now seeing it destigmatized somewhat, but we have more to go. And there needs to be a greater 
discussion and focus and resources devoted to mental health. Absolutely. Do you think that when the re whenever there is a school shooting or a mass shooting, uh, and the Republicans usually very quickly will talk about the important role of mental health, they put it before gun control, generally speaking, right. do you think that they are leading to uh, uh, a stigmatizing of uh, people with mental disease? I, I don't know if they're doing that. It concerns me when both sides, whenever there's a mass shooting, both sides get into their respective corners. The Republicans are talking about mental health and the Democrats are talking about gun control and guns being the whole problem. So I... I but, the, but the Republicans and many Democrats are saying that if you have a, a, a mental illness of some kind, you should not have a gun. I think most people would agree with that. Yes. I'm just saying is that until the country has dealt with the with the stigma that is that is affixed to mental health is is, is that not a good idea do you have to have one discussion before the other and the fact that you know you know because it's just going to then you're going to add them to the to the list of people who are homeless and you just say well just you know half the country's crazy yeah, I mean, am I am I overshooting this discussion? I I don't think there's a stigma, uh, a widespread one to mental illness. There was into the 20th century, but certainly since World War II, it's not been generally stigmatized. I think you're I right. I, I, huh? I, I very much disagree. Yeah, okay. I, I do. Too. You, that that is, you can talk about on on the internet, on in public, on radio shows about all kinds of physical afflictions, but if you're talking about and the stigma and the ostracization that people face if they face if they have mental illness is terrible in this country still. I don't I think we've made some progress to Josh's point. I think there's so much farther to go. Oh, I think it, it's still a very serious issue. The stigma and then the reluctance yeah, the issue. reluctance of people no, but the reluctance yeah. of people to seek treatment and the reluctance of insurers oh, yeah. to pay yes. for treatment. Yeah. These are and, and policymakers to deal with it as right. well. Yeah. John? Yeah, it, I suppose it depends on where you draw the line where mental illness sort of begins, what's your threshold of defining mental illness. Uh, I'm kind of inclined to agree with Art on that, uh, that it's not that stigmatizing. But on the other hand, um, the... Not the way it used to be. Uh, don't, you don't uh, see poll evidence I, for I, that. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, hard to know. On the other hand, uh, your point about um, the obligation of insurance companies to come in and support, um, you know, things like, you know, marriage therapy. I mean, is this some sort of a mental illness uh, mm -hmm. issue? Probably not. So, you know, some of the things might be a sort of, it's, it, it mental Ill, it's easy to masquerade something as mental illness and sort of trot it into something that's uh, subsidized. Maybe that's the uh, kind of the danger is, you're looking at. Is, is the treatment of mental illness in, in a variety of ways, in a variety of levels, whether it's at school or it's at uh, local outposts in, in neighborhoods, is is that an issue that could really be a bipartisan issue that it, could bring people be. together? It should be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's one like the crime bill that was signed last year mm -hmm. yeah. that kind of rolled back some of the Clinton-Gingrich era reforms back in the mid-1990s. This is one, it really shouldn't be a partisan issue. Right. On the issue of, of the 1990s, is it fair for Joe Biden to be basically put on defense as to his leadership of some of the crime legislation and the thousand cops on the street and some of the other things that led to the Clinton anti-crime program, which was immensely popular with black and white elected officials 
I mean, right now we have a Democratic Party that is is not their their arguments are not based on the context of what life was like politically right. in 1994. Right. right. It's fair for him to be asked those questions, but he he's got a great comeback, and you yeah. just articulated the comeback. In the mid 90s, it was a different situation. <clears throat> Our cities were under siege. There was a lot bigger crime problem. And there was a reason that black leaders were begging for this. They wanted this, mm -hmm. the crime reform. And no one, no one was able to project the unintended consequences. Right. But Biden hasn't been able to offer that up. It's hard to remember the political zeitgeist of 20 right. years ago. And that's why, you know, the Me Too movement can't understand you know, the way male-female yeah. reactions uh, and interactions that, were 40 years ago. But but that zeitgeist, as you talked about, that was Republicans, Democrats, white Republicans, black Democrats. Right. I mean, it was across the board. Uh, it, we had a major crime epidemic in the United yeah, States, uh, and government rose to the occasion to do something about it. Now, I think they overstepped their bounds. But again, their intentions were good. So, yes. Mm -hmm. And my intentions were good inviting all of you here this evening. Nick Com, thank you very much. Josh Cantro, Art Sear, John McDonough, we thank you very much for being with us. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Andrew Marshall for their assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Theater presents the Broadway sensation Bernhard Hamlet, a rollicking comedy about the original diva, legendary actress Sarah Bernhardt. It's 1899, and Bernhardt tackles her most ambitious part yet, Hamlet. The gossip flies and society gasps as gender roles are put to the test. The New York Times calls it a breakneck backstage comedy and says it's so clever it uplifts. Bernhard Hamlet runs through October 20th. Get tickets today at GoodmanTheater.org. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support. 
for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. 